Hey guys, what's up? It is week 268, and to be honest, this is going to be kind of a short week. Uh, i got vacation coming up this weekend, so I'm filming this even earlier than usual. Not that you guys need all this information, but hey. So, uh, the first one up is from Film Detective, and this is The Brain from Planet Eros, or Eris. Um, yeah, 1957, and this director, he kind of worked in a lot of B-movies. He ended up uh, directing The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, which is an absolute classic with special effects by Ray Harryhausen. He also directed the deadly mantis and attack of the 50 foot woman um now basically this guy was always kind of ridiculed because the producer all, all the he kind of had low means to make these movies and essentially his effects were kind of shoddy so this this is a plot uh the plot of the brain from arrow planet arrows is is it's kind of a typical science fiction plot it's been kind of ripped or done a dozen times and um through the commentary they point out a bunch of movies that came before it which i, I wasn't as familiar with of course because the historians on this commentary track are a hundred percent perfect at what they do um so anyways, uh, the plot is as follows. John Agar, he's in a bunch of uh, 50s B-movies and I believe some Westerns. And he ended up popping up and stuff uh, later in like Miracle Mile and Nightbreed um, as good roles. So essentially him and his scientific buddy, I don't remember exactly their title, what they do. But they have some weird radioactive kind of... Uh, uh, um, Basically, a radioactivity somewhere off the distance. It kind of confuses them. So they go out into the desert and look out, look, see what the hell's going on. They find a cave. They go in there, and there's this giant floating brain. Um, so the brain is not the only movie with a giant floating brain, of course. Um, anyways, the brain enters John Agar, and it uh, disintegrates his friend with some radioactivity. It basically, the brain has this power to basically, it, it's like a floating Hiroshima. It can just cause these bombs, you know, nuclear warheads whatnot and just do it to whoever and whatever it wants so john agar is kind of possessed uh by this brain and um at, at, so he goes back uh to the to his girlfriend his fiance and his, his father-in-law and all this and he seems a little odd um he's been gone a week his buddy's gone and uh fairly quickly strange things start to happen a plane explodes and we know it is the brain uh doing this inside inside john agar but and this brain also has kind of like uh you know a reason for being here. It's an evil alien from space. Come to find out there's another brain on his tail, and this initial brain that uh, took over John Agar is a criminal, and is an escaped criminal, and we have another brain coming to look for him. So think of all the 80s movies that, that ripped this kind of deal off, right? We have I Come in Peace, of course, um, The Hidden, um, and then we have other kind of alien escape movies like Terror Vision, Night of the Creeps, um, critters, all these where it's like this alien doesn't belong here, um, and it accidentally got here. The Alien Factor by Don Dolor. The list is, is is it's a very standard kind of sci-fi trope setup. I enjoy it myself. So it's up to the good alien brain and um, Joyce. Jeez, uh, what is her her name? Um, yeah, Joyce Meadows is an actress here to stop. Um, you know, John Agar and the brain. The cool thing about this movie is, um, besides, you know, it gets into a little, like the political deal where he calls in all the world leaders and said, this is what you're going to do. Here's a demonstration of my power. But when John Agar does turn like controlled over by the brain completely, his eyes go like gold and they're like these giant bulgy eyes. And apparently John Agar said they were miserably painful. He in fact blamed his later day glaucoma on wearing these contacts, which is a very nice, cool story in the commentary. So it's just like, 
wow. And, and the the way they reveal when they initially show when he's wearing the contacts and he's evil is through a water cooler. And like you could tell there's some cuts in there, some jarring, but they do it try to make it look like there's no cuts. Um, and then like he's looking down and you see his eyes through the water cooler and then he comes up and he's like this and he's like and you're not going anywhere either. It, it's a it's a fun B movie, right? If you can get, I don't mind practical effects when they're a little shoddy, especially in fifties B movies. It, it's a certain charm that people like, and I am one of them. Now, you know, it is a very tropey science fiction film, but it's very short. 70 minutes, you're in, you're out. It's a perfect uh, B feature, you know. Watch two of these in one night, you will not be disappointed. That's that's. I miss short run times, even though I wasn't alive in the 50s, but I do remember seeing a lot of movies with short run times. And it's just something that's kind of a lost... Uh, a lost thing here, right? Especially with, you know, soul streaming and lacks of editors and these epic, everything's got to be an epic movie. Back in the day when you popped in a three-hour movie, you were getting something gold. Um, and if it wasn't, it was pretty rare, you know. So uh, anyways, The Brain from Planet Eros is a, is a solid little B-movie, enjoyable. And uh, uh, there's some iconic images in here um, where somebody attacks a brain with an axe. I feel like that stuff's been used later down the line. I think it's actually in the intro to Ernest Scared Stupid, if I'm not mistaken, uh, that Walmart shows all the the, the cheesy B-movies and Ernest is doing his cheesy faces. So essentially, the features again always shine on the Film Detective releases and this is no different. We have uh, two featurettes from Ballyhoo Motion Pictures, The Man Before the Brain, director Nathan Euron. And this goes through a bunch, I don't remember which one... Um, before the brain, which which feature is which? They kind of both tackle a lot of the same things. The man behind the brain, the world of Nathan Euron, I believe that's the second one, um, led by C. Courtney Joyner, who does a great job, also was a, a director uh, as well. But uh, the first one just kind of breaks down a lot of his movies and points out that this guy, you know, he did The Attack of the 50-Foot Woman, The Deadly Mantis, um, The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, and just goes through his entire career, The Black Castle. So I'm just like, wow, this guy had a really nice little prolific B-movie horror career. That's good stuff. Um, and the commentary I like a lot because it has film historians. And they do the deal where a lot of these film historians used to, they interviewed a lot of these people when they were still alive, since John Agar's past, and all these different people and producers and stuff like that. So they have archival uh, audio footage with them so they'll introduce it during this scene and Tom Weaver's got a wonderful voice I believe that's the one with the, the wonderful voice reminds me of Robert Forrester uh, and, and he'll they'll introduce it and then they'll say they'll have so and so and then you'll get to hear them talk about it direct direct so it's not just them repeating what they said you're actually hearing what they say and that's perfect you know what I mean no mistakes are made there no telephone. It, it's direct. No, so there's a lot of that. Also, Joyce Meadows is on the, the commentary. She does a fun introduction where they kind of have to recreate some of the the planet, uh, the brain from Planet Era. So it's a nice release. It looks solid. You can watch it in widescreen or um, full frame. And I imagine that maybe the full frame was the initial. Which one's uh, in full frame 1331 format? Which I don't know what when this one was initially shot in. Or it, it, There's probably a chance it was shot in one but broadcast in another. So people are used to it being this way or another. Anyways, I was happy with it, and it comes with some cards and everything like that, and a booklet. Um, again, uh, digging these film detective releases, and even if you don't love the movies, they have always do such a good job. Uh, so, yeah, that's very nice. So check it out. Uh, again, Film Detective remains to be one of the most underrated companies in the business, along with stuff like Mondo Macabro. Uh, yeah, anyways, check it out. Good stuff. Okay, the next one is a Patreon pick, and it's a Chris Rivers Patreon pick again, and his was basically, just pick something you haven't had a chance to get to. So recently, within the last couple of years, I bought a bunch of um, imports, Hong Kong imports, of movies that I had maybe on DVD or heard of in passing, and that were a good price. And this one is Fatal Vacation. 
And I thought about a while doing like a bunch of fatal like movies would start with fatal because there's a dozen of them. A lot of Hong Kong movies as well. This is a Hong Kong flick and uh, it has has some familiar faces in here. It's actually directed by one of the lead actors in the film. And this is either a late 80s, early 90s movie. I can't exactly remember the time here. But uh, yeah, this one is a pretty wild film. So um, just to let you guys know, it is um, Region A. So if you guys want to import and you're not region free, you should still be good on this. Um, don't need to be region free for some of them Hong Kong releases. Um, Fatal Vacation. This this kind of stuff is made for me. <laughs> it's an action kind of exploitation flick. And we have a group of Hong Kong uh, vacationers that are going to go to the Philippines um, for, for a nice little vacation. Um, during uh, this time, there is like some obviously political and military turmoil. Um, they call this group of people Reds, and they seem to be like extremist kind of communist kind of deal. In the very beginning of the movie, when uh, the, you kind of meet the group as, as they're going on their trip, and it has typical Hong Kong humor. Some of the characters are over the top, some are obnoxious. The main actor most American people will recognize right away is Victor Wong from stuff like Tremors and Prince of Darkness, and I believe he's even in Big Trouble in Little China. He, he's a very memorable actor, um, very memorable character actor, has a very unique look. And him and his wife and, and their grandson are, are some of the main characters here. And then we're introduced to like a, a pair of cops that are going there for you know some uh, fun. One guy's going to go lose his virginity. We have a couple kind of uh, more, you know, uh, I guess free-spirited girls, a couple, you know, random different people, all this kind of stuff. And, and then we have the tour guide. The tour guide is very kind of larger than life. Bob, kind of goofy, always hitting on the girls and everything like that. And you're introduced to all these people. There's a group of thugs, too, that butt heads right away with the cops. Um, and they know each other from obvious kind of deals. Anyways, they go on this uh, trip. They're having fun at this club. And uh, across the street is kind of an arms deal going on. We have these four kind of crazy villains. They're all very memorable. Um, the one with glasses is the leader or, or was one of the leaders. His brother's the boss. And we have like a bald guy and whatnot. They're all pretty crazy and intense characters. The kind of bad guys you want in a Hong Kong movie, to be honest. Um, and so what happens is the arms deal uh, gets raided by police. The, the four baddies kill all everybody um, and start f having a shootout with the cops. Uh, a lot of insanity. And on their escape route, um, they uh, hijack the bus take all the people prisoner and a couple Chinese guys, twin brothers uh, that are <laughs> dressed identical they accidentally get caught up in here and they end up on the bus as well. So what ensues is something similar to Trauma's War or um, Lost Souls from this from 1980 which I covered a few weeks ago, the Shaw Brothers flick. So like we have this group of uh, tourists that are trying to survive and they're being held ransom because one of the, the baddies was kid uh, was uh, held, was caught and the military has them and they want to make an exchange. They're, they're in a hidden location and uh, pretty quickly, they start to be tortured and beat and raped. All the kind of typical stuff you would expect in one of these situations, right? Um, you start The characters, some of them become bigger assholes. Some change their personality. Some shut down. And um, you start rooting for a lot of different characters in the movie. You get attached to a lot of them. Um, some are killed pretty quickly. Some are killed later on and picked off and whatnot until there's obviously going to be one final stand uh, where the characters must bond together, take out the baddies, and epic proportion with giant machine guns and explosions it's everything you would want in this kind of movie i i loved it i was very attached to a lot of characters and when they bite it i genuinely felt bad um how many movies do you get to see a grandma be a badass not many but when it happens it's pretty awesome like i said this is this is definitely uh you know just it's also like it hits points where it gets really intense where they force the people to play Russian roulette and their self-sacrifice and all that kind of stuff. Um, I really like this kind of stuff. Um, it's, it's not going to be for everybody. It's not as over the top as Trauma's War. 
it is as over the top in some of the action set pieces as Troma's War. It's not as mean-spirited as Lost Souls, but it's somewhere in that middle ground, right? Where it's kind of like Lost Souls and Troma's War, but it's a little bit more approachable and it has the big action set piece in the nightclubs and stuff in the beginning. So it's like, it's not John Woo caliber action, but it's kind of in that vein. So I would really recommend checking this out. It looked really good and sounded really good. I dig these releases, these uh, Panorama. Um, they're relatively inexpensive if you get them from a certain site. The DDD House, I believe it is. Uh, wait for a sale, pick up a handful of them. Um, hopefully these get stateside releases. I know a couple of them are, or a couple of them will be. But uh, yeah, more of this kind of shit. And it's nice to see a character like Bob, although inappropriately, you know, hitting on the girls and everything like that. It was a different time. Later on, becoming one of the more kind of heroic types and welding like a big machine gun and stuff and, and whatnot and being a hero. So, you know, it's normal people having to overcome uh, insane circumstances and become heroes in an awful kind of situation. So that is Fatal Vacation. Recommended. Check it out. Good stuff. And Bob, um, I don't know if I mentioned this guy plays Bob, actually directed it, directed a slew of movies. The guy's in a lot of movies. I'm sure you've seen some of them. Okay, we're going to hop into those 1980 movies. They did this to you! They're trying to turn us against each other! Just look at them! What do they know about friendship, anyway? I'll get them. You watch. I'll take care of those son bitches. Watch it, Alan. I'm shooting. Oh, good lord. It's... It's unbelievable. It's... It's horrible. I can't understand the reason for such cruelty. It must have something to do with some obscure sexual writer. With the almost profound respect... Getting very careless. Blood in your hair. What will we do? You want to look pretty, don't you? Pretty for me. I can't believe you're not afraid. All you have to do is piss on it. Couldn't care blood, ain't you? God damn it, Ralph, get out of here. Go on, get. Leave people alone. You'll never come back again. Oh, shut up, Ralph. It's got a death curse. Evil. God, my leg. God, my leg. I'm here. You. There's a bug bank out there. Messenger of God. You're doomed if you stay here. Demanding everything, including blood. John, I want this material burned. All of it. Son of a bitch. Wendy. Stay away! Darling, light of my life. I'm not gonna hurt you. You didn't let me finish my sentence. 
I said, I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains. I'm gonna bash them right the fuck in. <laughs> well, Dad, are you proud of me now? Do I measure up? Huh? My son, my son was a son of a bitch, and he was no good. That's it. My son is dead. I don't want to talk about him no more. Oh, Sydney, you're gonna die. Mater lacrimarum. Ma'am. Mater tenebrum. We didn't find any boy. Mater suspiriorum. You know as well as I do, it takes all kinds of critters to make farmer Vincent fritters. I wonder who the real cannibals are. All right, first up is kind of, uh, I would say, kind of a heavy hitter from 1980. It has a lot of fans. Uh, It gets a lot of love. It's because probably it's one of those early 1980 slasher movies that, you know, came in that big heyday of slasher movies. And it stars, you know, a huge cult icon of slasher films. This is Prom Night, directed by Paul Lynch, who also directed Humongous. And um, he goes on to do some more thrillers and some other films as well. This stars Jamie Lee Curtis and Leslie Nielsen. I should mention that um, it also, I, I spotted this time, uh, it has the uh, character actor from the Cronenberg early works, like The Brood and Scanners, the kind of really strange guy who gets the growth in the brood i don't remember his name he, he's this is obviously a very canadian movie if he's in it so and uh yeah that, that's pretty much it um all right now i should mention that jamie lee curtis I, I didn't bring her up too much on when i talked about the fog but in 1980 jamie lee curtis had a very kind of uh, a, a very heavy year in like horror films she had of course the fog she had prom night she had terror train that's three right there. She also would do Halloween too, kind of like back to back four. And I don't remember when Road Games came out, eighty one probably as well. So she she kind of did all her horror thrillers right at the beginning after Halloween and whatnot. So uh, yeah, um, this movie was infamously one that I always was kind of like, yeah, it's a little overrated. I've never been a huge fan of it. Um, I like my slashers. Don't get me wrong. I'm not an elitist when it comes to like horror films or anything like that. So this time around, you know, watching the Synapse Blu-ray, I knew I was in for a, a, a at least a visual treat and and sound treat and all that kind of stuff. So um a good experience and i popped this in and uh you know the plot is essentially um you could see them like uh when paul lynch tells a story you on the comment on the making of featurette which is really good by redshirt pictures um it has a good amount of interviews with people and it's all mixed up it's not too long doesn't wear out it's welcome i like that kind of stuff um so essentially paul lynch says that he was uh was it the producer of halloween went to him and the guy said well listen man we want holidays you know that's kind of in right now we want the holiday deal and so he was driving back and he saw the sign for prom night, uh, prom night coming. And he was like, you know what? It's an event, but it's close enough. So he kind of went with that and, and whatnot. And then we have prom night, different producer came in, yada, yada, yada. But when I was watching this, I kept obviously thinking Halloween. You got Jamie Lee Curtis, you got the star of Halloween. So I was like, well, I was obviously Halloween inspired, but then you get the prom night, the big dance at the end. And I was like, very much Carrie inspired too, especially with the high school stuff. It's very prevalent with the high school drama and all that. So I was like, this really just feels like they took Carrie and Halloween and they're both like horror masterpieces or horror classics or popular horror films of their times and they're relatively within close distance of these movies five years at least four four actually for both and and then it's just like 
four and then two. I, I I don't want people to think I'm saying that, but within four years for both movies. And it was just like, let's merge these and then we'll have a classic as well. And it doesn't really work like that, we know. And and I'm not hard on movies that are inspired or ripped off. They're products of their time. I love plenty of ripoffs, plenty of movies that were inspired by it. Um, and technically, this is a well-made movie. It's well-acted. It's not a poorly done movie at all. So, um, and it has the disco backdrop, right? Uh, as very pro, uh, another movie of 1980, it has a huge disco backdrop. At least the soundtrack is House on the Edge of the Park. And I love that. So the music in Prom Night, although kind of lifted from other movies and altered, uh, all the hit songs and altered is, is, is fun. So my, my main complaint about the movie is, um, it just has, uh, first two acts aren't really that, um, entertaining to me they're not horrible they're not horrible and the third act is a lot of fun and all in all i end up coming down uh, i like the movie i like it this was probably the best experience i had with it but the opening we have that kind of classic you know young kids something tragic happens and like very soft focus so you know it's a flashback and something tragic happens and then we fast forward to like 10 years later they're all about to have you know big prom and a lot of those people that were involved in that murder are now like grown up and they're starting to get weird letters and everything like you know it and, and pictures of them in their in their lockers. So we know there's a stalker about. At the same time, we have so many red herrings in this movie. We have the janitor, who I mentioned earlier, is the Canadian character actor who just looks creepy. I'm the creepy janitor. I could easily be the killer, right? And maybe some of these tropes were, you know, helped push forward by Prom Night as well. And maybe maybe a couple of them came initially from Prom Night. So who knows? And, and then we have also uh, the escape uh, mental patient, right, who was wrongly convicted of the death in the very beginning. So he's out. Well, that's Halloween, right? So, oh my God, this guy's out there. Maybe he's the guy. And then we have the father, who played by Leslie Nielsen, one of the greatest actors ever. Later this year, he'd do Airplane and change his image forever. And um, so, so, like, we have Leslie Nielsen, right? And it's, he's the father of somebody who died, so he could be it. And then it's, it's all these red herrings. And, of course, um, it all's coming together at prom. We have the bitch girl. And she basically gets this thuggish guy who reminds me of Buddy Repperton, but more so John Travolta from Carrie to kind of carry out her, her desires and everything like that. Very much like Carrie. And uh, what happens is a big climax at prom night where a bunch of people get killed. There's a couple fun characters. A lot of the characters I enjoy. Um, there is a scene of uh, nudity and whatnot. Um, you do genuinely like most of the characters. They are well established, especially like Slick and his girlfriend, that whole scene. You really want them to kind of make it because they're in like love at first and and it's just like, it's their first experience with that. And, and they're just fun characters and likable characters and whatnot. And you're just like, well, I'd like them to make it. Um, so, yeah, that, that's basically it um, uh, of the movie. I do enjoy it. I like it. it it's, it's a well-made slasher. Now, it's not a personal favorite slasher movie. But if you're like top 25, top 30 well-made slashers in popularity, it's, it's like, it's got to be on there, right? Just because it's technically... A, a well-done movie, and it has Jamie Lee, and it has a good soundtrack and stuff. It's not a personal favorite of mine, but it's a fine movie, and I can see why people enjoy it, especially if you're a slasher nut. I think that Prom Night's a pretty good movie. Um, now, it's not... It, it is a little dull for me, especially when you compare it to a lot of the other 80, 1980 insanity happening. I mean, like, this is the same year as City of the Living Dead, and Maniac, and, and, and like, those movies are just so intense. It's so much more up my alley that when you put Prom Night in at the same kind of time, you're like, this is a little, little, little weak sauce in comparison to the craziness. But not everyone is a, a sick maniac like myself. Some people like, you know, a little class, a little reserve. Um, I don't know who they are, but they do. They do like some of that. Um... 
So yeah, it is it is fine movie, and uh, it has one of the, my favorite moment in the movie. Honestly, is when Jamie Lee Curtis goes on the the dance and she has her dance moves and she starts getting out there. I was like, you know, it's just pretty good dancer. Like I I could believe it in her face. Like that's a good performance, uh, the disco performance there. So if you're a fan of Prom Night, check out the the Blu-ray from Synapse Films. It has a brand new 2K. The surround sound was excellent, especially when that disco music kicks in. I threw up the metal horn. <laughs> disco music. I'm just fucking around. I always throw up the metal horns as a joke, anyways. Um, if if you're not throwing the metal horn, if you're too serious throwing up metal horns, it's just like, come on, it's just too much. Um, then we have the Horror of Hamilton High, the making of Prom Night featurette that has interviews with the special effects artists, some of the actors involved, and Paul Lynch and a producer, I think, maybe producer, production designer, stuff like that. Never were seen outtakes from Prom Night, exclusive to Blu-ray. And, and some other things, Motion Still Gallery, original radio spots, all that kind of stuff. So Leslie Nielsen's also good in it, and they tell some fun stories about him, similar to the fun stories they tell about him on Creep Show. So, uh, yeah, anyways, Prom Night, fun 1980s slasher movie. Don't expect to see it in my top 25, but you never know. Maybe I'll have a change of heart. Um, yeah. Okay, the next up is Death Ship. Um, yeah, starring legendary actor. George Kennedy, it's got Richard Crenna, it's got Sal Rubinex in here, and those are pretty much uh, the actors I recognize. Nick Mancuso is an actor that I know I've seen before. Um, yeah, Sal Rubinex role is very small. This is a Scorpion release, the second re- uh, printing of it, brand new scan from the 2K negative, and uh, Death Ship I've seen before. This is a rewatch. It's been it's been a long time, trust me. Um, I don't know why I'm going to tell this story, probably because I don't have that much to say about Death Ship, but as a young kid visiting my cousins and uh, aunt and uncle in Columbus, we used, I used to, always to bag and stop at a video store, so when we went to the video store there was death ship sitting there and i was like death ship i was like i want it can we rent this and like wait, wait, why are you gonna rent it because we got to bring it back to the next day and whatnot it's just gonna be a hassle so i couldn't rent it but uh, when we were leaving i was like ma dad we got to stop at this video store i'm like 10 i'm like because i love the cover the cover art is badass the original cover um you'll see it in here and, and it's just got the boat in the middle of the ocean i loved anything water horror basically hoping there would be a monster in it of source right and um I, I was like ma you gotta please stop at this video store i gotta convince them to sell me death ship i used to do this sometimes and like this is in the heyday maybe the early 90s right so they're eight nine they're not they don't want to sell you tapes in the 90s i guess early 90s so I'd go in there they would not sell me death ship the bastards so uh for years i couldn't see it i think i ended up ordering a tape or renting it from another video store that was around my house and i eventually found it and i remember being okay with it so rewatching death ship this time around you know a lot of people complain it's a big shining ripoff made the same year i don't know how fast they could make this to after seeing shining or whatnot i don't know the date on shining but you know that's gonna be hard but the book was out so maybe they read the book and it does feel kind of like yeah the shining but People going crazy from a possessed item, a house, or whether a boat, it's not really a new thing. It's not really a shining thing, right? I mean, but you can see some similarities for sure. The shower of blood, take the elevator of blood. Um, and there's just stuff like that. That's just little tiny things that feel kind of like it, but not too much, right? George Kennedy being the Jack Torrance character in the movie. So George Kennedy is a captain of a boat. This is his last uh, passenger boat. This is his last ship sail or whatever. Richard Crenna, you know, from Rambo, or First Blood, I should say. He's in Rambo too as well. But, you know, and The Rape of Richard Beck, which is kind of a deep cut for Richard for Richard Crenna, but a good role nonetheless. So essentially, um, he is going to take over for uh, George Kennedy. This is his last trip. And George Kennedy just doesn't like people. He, he loves driving the boat. He, he's good at it. He's a great captain, but he hates people. He hates doing the whole, you know, I guess, um, bureaucratic bullshit with all the people. How you doing? Have a nice day. So uh, him and Richard Crenna have to go down for dinner. We meet kind of all the principal characters that are going to be in the movie. We see Sal Rubinex up on the stage, kind of just 
chatting up with everybody, entertaining everyone. We see Richard Crenna and his family. We see, you know, uh, Nick Mancuso, I believe, and a very religious kind of strange lady who's a character actor herself, and George Kennedy. You get all their demeanors, all who they are. Essentially what happens is we have kind of a shoddy sinking boat kind of deal where it's really unclear how these survivors made it and it's just not done very well. Like they show like the, the uh, is it the hull of the ship at the bottom basically where the engine room all flooding and that's pretty much it. I don't think it's the hull. Whatever. I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a first mate. I'm not a ship guy. I'm not a ship guy. Right. Um, so, so anyways, it, it sinks. They make it on the lifeboat and this giant uh, big boat is kind of pulls up and they board it. And very quickly, they know something's not right. Um, one of the characters is dispatched pretty quickly um, and in kind of a ridiculous way where they're strung up upside down and then dropped in the water. In fact, 90% of the characters, if not everybody, is just thrown overboard or drowns. That's how they die. Um, they're all driven mad by something and then drowned or thrown overboard. George Kennedy is hurt pretty bad in the beginning and uh, he starts to have hallucinations and we realize this is some sort of Nazi boat. With, uh, yeah, and it, it's like, uh, it's still, it's been untouched, but everything works, and it only works for George Kennedy because he's the captain of this ship. And Richard Crenna's not taking this boat from him, not like the last one, right? So essentially, what we have here is kind of a haunted ship, people going mad, no real ghost or anything like that. We have a blood shower, which is pretty, pretty explicit for this movie, to be honest. Like, it's like, we got to get that nudity in there. This woman's in the shower, blood comes down. It's like a three minute scene of her just squ squealing around, rubbing around in blood. So, so instead of watching like Lady in the the sea of blood which is just kind of like a weird fetish thing just watch three minutes of death ship and you're done it's all done right we got it so yeah that's basically it um yeah it's a fine movie it's okay um uh, richard i mean uh, uh george kennedy's disp his hand at the very end is pretty gnarly and uh, it's a nice setting for a movie. Um, some of the camera work's a little crazy, and I like that. Um, weird stuff like that. Uh, some of the kid dialogue, the two kids talking is just nonsensical, but hey, they're kids. What do you expect? Um, it's a fine movie. It's a decent movie. It looks really good on this new release. Um, and the special features are nice, because we have this... Um, yeah, you can watch it in the Katrina mode, which was the thing they Scorpion Films used to put out, where they had like Katrina's Nightmare Theater, and she was like a horror host, a wrestler deal, and make fun of the movies, I believe. I, I never watched the Katrina Theater ones, although I had a bunch i used to watch the movies audio commentary with director alan Radkoff and featurette with director Radkoff, writer jack hill you know jack hill would go on to direct many movies including um uh switchblade sisters and um coffee um foxy brown actors george kennedy nick mancuso which is great to hear george kennedy talk about the movie since past of course and talk about richard crenna and, the, and how funny he was on set and how gross the death ship actually was slimy nasty disgusting um, so yeah, he's like, sometimes in a movie, when you watch a movie, you see the music and it all comes beautifully together. You don't realize how much hard work goes into that. And he was just like, that ship was just awful. Like the water was just awful. And there's a scene right in the beginning, like at, at, where they fall into like the water and all this oil spills on them. And I'm like, fuck that. The first 10 minutes of the movie, I'm going to get covered in oil and have to walk around the rest of the movie on this gross ass ship covered in oil. Like you could tell George Kennedy and Richard Crenner were like, God damn it. Like, right. I, I would immediately been like, <sighs> I just looked over. I'm like, are you fucking serious? Like, you don't, you don't really register that. And then there's other features on here. What the ship is saying, featurette, and uh, subtitles for the deaf and um, dumb. And it says for the deaf and hard of hearing. I'm glad we got rid of that. I thought it really said deaf and dumb back in the day. That's what they used to say, and obviously that was an offensive term. But uh, so yeah, death ship. Check it out if it's up your alley. Nice little flip cover. Is the original cover under here? No, I mean it is in a reversible, I believe. 
Okay, this next one is a double feature, and I'm going to first talk about, uh, I guess we'll talk about Devil Hunter. This is from Severn Films. They're both from 1980, so that's nice. And Devil Hunter is a video nasty. It was directed by Jess Franco, and we kind of know that Jess Franco didn't ever want to really do the cannibal movies. Um, and this is one that I always avoided. I believe it's, it had a decently long runtime for what it is, like an hour and 40, yeah, an hour and 42 minutes for a Jess Franco cannibal movie when he doesn't even want to direct it. So you can tell, like, Franco kind of steered away from the cannibalism a little bit, right and he focuses more on like a kidnapping deal so what we have here is a group of baddies um some some have a couple familiar faces in here um one of which is the bad guy from terror express and mosquito the rapist i believe he pops up in one of the dario argento movies as well he's got a really kind of a unique like german look just made for a, a 80s bad guy right and as there's like four of them they end up kidnapping this actress and they're going to hold her ransom they end up running away to the jungle we uh, send in um al cliver from you know zombie and a slew of other movies to beyond uh dozens of movies right and uh who's the other actor antonio mayans who's a uh, just franco regular these two got to go in and get and rescue her and bring her back and meantime and this jungle there is a group of natives that worship this this devil hunter i guess he's like this big god to them or some sort um, think like kind of like a King Kong like character, but he's not huge. Um, he's big, but he's not he's not King Kong big. He's just a guy with some bug eyes on his face. He's got these weird bug eyes. He's walking around buck ass naked. So there's some dong hanging if you're interested. And uh, essentially, this devil hunter will like they sacrifice women to him. He'll eat them. Um, I don't know. Sometimes it looks like he's eating their nether regions. I don't know what he's doing. A lot of it's just like kind of a little piece of prosthetic that he's putting in his mouth and being like, um, so yeah, devil hunter goes around picking off people while Al Cliver tries to make a deal with these bad guys and rip them off. Who's ripping who off. There's a lot of, uh, there's some rape in it. Of course. Um, there's some, the special effects aren't necessarily super graphic if I remember, but there is some, obviously a lot of sexual content in the movie. And I'm going to be honest, this and cannibal tear bleed together because the plots are fairly similar and stuff like that. And there's some, they share some of the same cast and whatnot. Um, to be honest, watching devil, Hunter. I always heard it was one of the worst cannibal movies, and um, I've seen a couple worse, uh, one of which is uh, Cannibal Terror, <laughs> which I'll be talking about. And I don't think it's all that bad. I like Al Cliver. I like some of the cast. I mean, the women are gorgeous. All the women in here are gorgeous. And uh, you gotta give it props for showing dog in a movie, right? And, and they do try to black it out a little bit. You know, you can tell like in the shadows, but this is this is Blu-ray, baby. This is Severed Blu-ray. There's no blacking out Severn Blu-ray. So a anyways, the fight scene is a little cheesy at the very end. But hey, it is what it is. It's Devil Hunter. Gotta like Al Kleiber, right? I mean, I, for I didn't know he did a Jess Franco movie, to be honest. I think that's pretty cool. Um, so, so as, as, uh, special features are concerned, we have interview with director, Jess Franco, and I don't know if this and, uh, um, Cannibal Terror were shot together. I believe Jess Franco was the producer or if the cannibals was shot with it, which is another Jess Franco cannibal movie from 1980 or is, did he do four? Did he do another? I think it's just Cannibals from this year as well. So anyways, Franco's super prolific. Um, it, it does look decent. I mean, it's a jungle movie. It's not like poorly shot like some of his later day stuff when it was on video and you didn't really have much to do, you know what I mean, with money and anything like that. But if it sounds like you like Devil Hunter, check it out. Um, I didn't hate it. I, I kind of enjoyed it. There's another video nasty I could check off the list. Another 1980 movie I could check off the list. Another Al Cliver movie I can check off the list. Okay, the next one up is going to be Cannibal Terror from 1980 as well. And I had seen Cannibal Terror. And in my memory, it was kind of cataloged under the worst cannibal movie um, around. And, you know, and after that, I had seen stuff like Primitives. And I really liked Primitives. And I, I, I'd always heard Devil Hunter was bad when I watched Devil Hunter along with this. I was like, that's not bad. So Cannibals, I think, still sits with me as the worst jungle cannibal movie ever made.
I still need to watch Jess Frankel's Cannibals. Maybe there's some ones. I, now, it's not the worst jungle adventure movie I've ever seen. I think that would be Jess Frankel's Golden Temple Amazons. I think that takes the cake for it. Um, but so, so here we go. Um, and I'm a Franco fan. Don't get me wrong. Don't but they hear me bad mouth and just Franco. But Cannibal Terror. Um, I feel like this was possibly produced by Franco. I can't 100% remember. Um, so yeah, here we go. I believe that Antonio is it Antonio Mayans, Robert Forrester. I mix them up, right? I, I mix these names up to be honest. Um, I think Robert Forrester is AK Foster is Antonio Mayans, or am I mixing these up? I'm sorry, I, I'm not perfect, but it's just a Jess Franco regular here. So Cannibal Terror has a similar kind of story. Um, this time around, Antonio Mayans or Robert Forrester is also a criminal, and uh, him and his partner they end up getting involved with like kidnapping these children of this person, and they end up running up to the jungle. Um, there's a really long scene here where like they're trying to break into a boat that's played for comedies and it's just like, okay, we get it. Hurry up. Um, this movie has a lot of let's hurry this up here going on. So, uh, essentially what happens is, um, they run to the jungle and they're trying to get away and uh, a group of people are after them to try to save the kidnapped victim. And then I believe there's even a police force after those people, yada, yada, yada. And at the same time, there's a group of cannibals going around kind of eating and ripping everyone apart. This is uh, makes note for me because um, there is a couple fairly graphic uh, violent scenes in here. This did make the video nasty list, if I'm not mistaken. And one of which I think they use like an animal corpse and it's like you see the rib cage and everything and it's like ripped everything apart like that. And that is a fairly graphic, like the cannibal scenes, like the actual gore in there looks pretty good it looks pretty good and it's much more gory than a lot of the other stuff would be you know and some of the other cannibal movies um especially you know devil hunter but uh the one major critique where it's so poorly done is the actual natives themselves these are the most unconvincing natives i've ever seen in any movie any anywhere period like and i, I would even say that there is they're as unconvincing as stuff like the parody movie pleasures of the damned and uh, what's the other one they made? Uh, they made a couple of these kind of parody cannibal movies, and which I think are really funny. The other one I think is better. Um, not Pleasure of the Dam, but the other one. But but they're even more unrealistic than that. Like you literally see like uh, French or English guys or whatever, like with mutton chop sideburns and like mustaches and just like guys that are, just look like not like them at all. And there's like, ah, and you're just like, and they're just so not into it. Like you see them laughing at times while they're like supposed to be cannibalizing a body. They're like, and you see like giggles and it's just like such a mess, such a half-hearted effort in that department. But people could get some unintentional laughs from it. Of course, uh, there is a rape scene in the movie. Uh, um, there, you know, like right away, the bad guys are at this hideout and they have connections to the other bad guy. And uh, uh, the, one of the baddies who's the Franco regular rapes like a woman. And that's, that's where we get here. And, uh, these are tied up. Um, somebody takes vengeance, like, and essentially it's just them being picked off. Um, it's, it's not a great movie. Like, I don't have that much to say about it. I don't remember that much, even though I've seen this thing twice now. And I don't think I ever need to watch Cannibal Terror again. It's not, it's not a wonderful movie, to be honest. I'm sorry. Um, they even mentioned the, uh, they <laughs> even mentioned the sideburns here. And so it's, it's exactly a talking point. I didn't read the back here, but even Severin mentions the sideburns and comb overs. I have to read this because it's hilarious even by the and this is like the laziest review ever now it's just reading the back of the case here it's not even a review uh, even by the sleaziest standards of 80s euro trash it remains a film that must be seen to be believed when a pair of criminal knuckleheads and their busty mall mole kidnap the young daughter of a wealthy tycoon they foolishly choose to hide in a local jungle infested with ferocious cannibals what follows is a mind roasting exercise in atrocious acting gratuitous nudity and gut munching mayhem by a ravenous tribe of flesh eaters who inexplicably sport comb overs and elvis cyburns <laughs> Um, Robert Forrester um, 
in Confessible Orgies of Emmanuel, Pamela Stanford, White Cannibal Queen, and Bert Altman, Zombie Lake. What a lineup. Um, starring an infamous Spanish-French co-production that was banned in Britain as one of the original video nasties and now presented on cut, uncensored, and mastered in high def for the first time in America. Yes, these do have features on them as well. Um, the Way of Flesh, an interview with Alan DeRue, a.k.a. Alan W. Streve. Spirit of Beehive, an interview with Patrice Ultiman. Spicy deleted scene. Mm, I wonder what that is. Probably more sideburns. Anyways, Devil Hunter, Cannibal Terror. Uh, pick it up, especially if you're a video nasty completist or you like cheesy cannibal movies or maybe some laughs. I mean, these ones are fairly inoffensive when you're looking at the cannibal um, movies from this year because you, you have Cannibal Holocaust and Eaten Alive, which both really include real animal deaths in there. So that's... That's going to put some people off. And I don't think I noticed any of that in here. Um, so so that's, a, that's a plus. No real animal death. But Zombie Holocaust is another one that has zombies and, and cannibals in it from 1980 with no real animal death. So if, if, you, uh, if you want something that's like, a, go with Zombie Holocaust, also put out by Severin instead of these ones. But if, you, if you're a completist and you got to see them, you got to see them. I would recommend Devil Hunter over Cannibal Tear. But hey, um, you could do worse than Devil Hunter. I don't know if you can do any worse than Cannibal Tear. And... Uh, I mean that as kind of like a, a loving, hating relationship with it, right? Okay, next up is another 1980 movie that has some love. It's, it's actually uh, been remade, and this is Charles Kaufman's Mother's Day, a trauma release. Of course, this is actually put out by Anchor Bay. Um, like I said, it was remade, uh, written by Darren Lynn Bowsman. I can't remember who directed it. So Mother's Day is a movie that I was always kind of okay with. I never loved it, but I know that some of my friends really dig it, and it has a, a good reputation. So w watching this, it opened up with an introduction by Charles Kaufman, who runs a bread shop now. Brothers of Lloyd Kaufman, run a guy who runs Stroma, legendary Lloyd Kaufman. And Charles Kaufman's like, you know, this is not something I make original. would make originally nowadays with the violence and it does have the comedic elements added with the horrific gore, which is something that would become very prolific later on. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you hear him. And then he, of course, just becomes super cheesy and goes back on what he says and has a gore gag in the bread shop. And you're like, that's the Kaufman I know, or the Kaufmans I know. They, they're obviously very much brothers. They're very fun. So, so we open this movie up. And we have this older woman who's in like this weird self-help group, and she ends up giving these two people. It's kind of like a uh, like a, I guess a love your neighbor and stuff, find yourself um, hippy dippy kind of bullshit thing. 1980, you know. So so they kind of get together, and uh, she's going to give these two a ride home. And they have some weird plans for her. They're going to rob her, possibly kill her. They're like, oh, no. But uh, a Granny's going to pull a fast one on them. And her two boys kind of uh, end up, like, hijacking the car. And the the family kind of kill these two. We have a graphic uh, head getting chopped off and other things. And then uh, they kind of go to their, like, I don't remember if we go follow them any more than that. But you kind of set up who the villains are. And then we kind of cut back to the major characters of the film. We have these three women that meet every year for vacation and they kind of get glimpses of who they are. One is kind of a rich woman that like has these big fancy parties with wacky over the top characters. One of them is kind of like dating a, a loser kind of freeloading boyfriend that she's obviously kind of sick of. And then the other one is kind of um, taking care of her sick mother that just kind of berates her. So like we have all these set up who they are and everything like that. And they meet every year. And uh, they do a random where the hell they're going to end up kind of deal. And uh, this was kind of neat because there's an interview with um, uh, Eli Roth on this. And Eli Roth at the time was was big stuff. You know, he still is kind of. And he loves horror movies and he loves Mother's Day. 
And he was basically pointing this stuff out. He's like, you know what? I never realized how much Mother's Day inspired me in my own movies until it's kind of like looked back at it and was like the the basically the hostile two setup is, you know, these group of girls, we meet them and then they go on the trip and, and whatnot. And then we switch to the villains. And he's like, Mother's Day does that. And he starts saying all these things about it. And the first time I watched the special features, I kind of just would like, I don't see that. I don't know what you're talking about with the television and the, the pop culture shit, which is in, you know, the two baddies, uh, Adley and um, Ike. And I was like, I don't I don't see it. I saw more of it this time around. Maybe I'm just getting smarter. Maybe Eli Ross, I, I maybe just, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm just getting dumber. We don't know. Um, maybe a little bit of both. How's that work? I don't know. But so, so this one, I had just more appreciation for it. But the thing that really won me over, it's not really, you know, the villains, Ike, Adley, and Mother. Um, it was the, the, the trio of women. Just their relationship together. They genuinely seem to love each other. They have good, uh, you know, back and forth. And when they're put in, obviously they're going in the woods camping and they're going to run into the bad guys. Um, think exploitation, Texas Chainsaw style, right? And, and after that happens, you really start to pull for them. And they have this wonderful flashback where they kind of helped each other out. And you kind of see their their dichotomy amongst each other, how they work and how they interact with each other. And I was like, this is really well done. This stuff is really well done. And, and a lot of it is kind of like your torture kind of stuff, you know, and, and you see mother kind of controlling the kids and teaching them how to be bad, how to be criminals, how to be violent. And in the background, there's all this talk of, um, geez, what is the, uh, there's supposedly, um, uh, mother had a sister that was like thrown into the woods, kind of the Hills Have Eyes story, right? Where, you know, uh, the dad, the, the old man and that kind of explains like one of his kids, he's like, he was so ugly. He killed the mother, break it in. It's like, it's not as powerful as that Hills Have Eyes, but we have the big explanation of uh, Queenie. I think it's Queenie who's in the woods. It was my sister. And like, it's obviously used for something to keep the kids never from leaving her. And I will say that the performance of the baddies is good, especially I, the big, bigger one, I think is a little bit stronger. Um, he's got the dead eye and he's just got this big voice like this and he's just and he's got a really iconic look with the helmet and all that stuff like that I, I think I like his performance best of the baddies but uh, the mother does have some fun moments and she's got some ridiculous over the top shit that's good too but of course it turns into like they have to fight back Texas Chainsaw kind of stuff and it has a really knockout kind of a little ending on top of it like all these movies did right and I know Art Editor mentioned that, how, like, you know, Maniac, you know, had to have the carry ending. And everything after that had to have, every time, it, the carry ending, right? Every movie had to have that. Friday the 13th, Maniac, Mother's Day. So many of these fucking movies did have that, and that's genuinely there. And I, I do agree. There's always that kind of, that hit on the end of it in and, and these horror movies. Um, you know, I would like this to get another release. I don't know if this is out of print, but it's a decent-looking release. It, does, it does, sounds okay. It's not some, like, oh, my God, this is an amazing knockout release. I'd like to see, you know, Vinegar Syndrome, even Screen, Screen Factor, Arrow, anybody grab Mother's Day and put it out. Um, and, and like I said, it was remade. And um, I, I don't love the remake at all. I think the original is vastly superior. And I think the remake is well acted and well directed. I just hate the writing. I just, I just, it's, it's a, it's a worldview of human beings are monsters and they're trash. Now watch them and then watch me write them as aliens. Like, I, and I know I should even bring that up because I'm talking about the original, but I've always felt that about the remake and I'm not a remake hater. You guys know that. I like my fair share of them, but I always felt that that remake of Mother's Day was a very dreadfully serious movie, while this Mother's Day is just, it, it kind of is weird and different, so it can get away with a little silliness or bizarreness, even though the, the fucked up stuff hits harder in this than it did in the remake. The remake just is like this, it's like, this is real life, look at the humanity, look how shitty they are, and then it's just people make poor decisions and don't act human, and I'm just like, I don't understand like where you're coming from. If you want to pull that kind of off... Yeah. 
I'm going to pick it apart if it, if it's not realistic. This one I don't have that problem with because it has that weird quality. You know, it does have that trauma, trauma stink on it for good or worse. I mean, for good or worse, for better or worse, you know? Um, and like, I just, it kind of gives it a little bit of a, um, a, a way to kind of like embrace the ridiculousness and not be from a, such a grounded world, even though it does feel fairly grounded at the same time. So, um, and at first it does tonally kind of have like this goofiness with the characters, like just people random around the street and you're just like, this feels strange. And it does kind of, it feels less goofy towards the end. And the, the killers do have nice demises, really nasty stuff, which you enjoy. So yeah, check out Mother's Day might be up your rally. You might like it. You might hate it. Who knows? I enjoyed it this time around. And another 1980 movie here, Schizoid. Uh, yeah. And uh, I had never seen Schizoid. This is a 4K. looked gorgeous. It also comes with X-Ray, which I had seen. It's been a long time since I watched X-Ray. I did not cover it here. Maybe I'll watch it next week. But yeah, yeah the double feature here. Um, so Schizoid. Great cast in Schizoid. Uh, let me double check. It has Klaus Kinski and Christopher Lloyd, of course. And I know there's a couple more people in this. This is a canon film. Um uh, Mariana Hill is the one that I wanted, and Richard Hurd. I definitely didn't want to forget them. Richard Hurd was in last week's Wolf Lake and a good performance. Now he plays a police officer in this one, fairly good. Now, Klaus Kinski and Christopher Lloyd, to me, in the same movie, is just kind of like, what? So Mariana Hill, I know from A Sigh of Evil, which I adore, and she, she has this opening scene where it's kind of framed around her story where she seems to have lost her mind in true Lovecraftian style. And so when I seen Mariana Hill right away, I said... I, I think she's kind of like nuts. Like every time I see her in a movie now, I'm like, Marianna Hill's crazy. Like, I think she's a little crazy. And so when I was watching Schizoid, I felt that right when I saw her. So essentially, Marianna Hill's going through a divorce. Her husband, I don't remember what he exactly does, but they still have in contact. They seem fairly friendly with each other. And uh, so basically she is um, going through this kind of self-help group, which is mostly predominantly women. There's a couple guys in there. Klaus Kinski runs the group. Can you think of any doctor you would want less than Klaus Kinski? I fucking can, especially a psychologist. So Klaus Kinski also has a daughter that he has problems with because the mother died under tragic circumstances. And, you know, she's not all there. Weird, incestuous thing going on with Klaus Kinski and his daughter, which doesn't sit very well, especially when you hear the kind of weird shit he used to say about his actual daughter, Nastasha Kinski. So, boom. I was like, oh, that's just uncomfortable. So, um... Basically, there's a group and there's a lot of like women in there that have their own problems. They always talk to each other. Sometimes they hang out out of work. Uh, Christopher Lloyd's also in the group. He also is a handyman, so he runs into Mariana Hill here and there. So uh, fairly quickly, people are starting to get picked off in fairly graphic detail um, and whatnot. Um, the women from the group. And there's so many red herrings in the movie. Um, you're like, who's the killer? Who could it be? Yada, yada. It's fairly obvious right off the bat who the killer is in this movie. It's probably the most poorly disguised of 1980. One of them, at least, right? Um, you'll Richard Hurd comes in. He's a police detective. Uh, and he's, he's good in it. He's fun in it. And yeah, so it's got a nice little cast. Um, the very end of the movie, we have like this big standout like uh, with all these people. All the crazy people that are still alive or su suspected killers are in, the house, in this area, whatnot. Um, so, so yeah, um, and, and you kind of know, like they tell you almost everything that's going on. And if you're interested in this one, it, it's pretty decent slasher film. The kills are good. Um, for the most part, Klaus Kinski is solid. Christopher Lloyd is, is good. Klaus Kinski, you see why he did it because it's just like, I get to sex up to all these women. Um, and he's just one of these characters that you watch and you just always like, he just has a lot of screen presence cause he's, he's just fucking bonkers. Right. Um, Christopher Lloyd as a really kind of uncomfortable performance, but good. Um, Marianna Hill is, is good and she fits that role perfectly. Cause you see her, you're like, she wanted her to be a little out there and, and it's, it's well done. Um, and like I said, everybody in the movie does a good job. Um, and it's a decent movie.
very very predictable but that doesn't really hold me back as far as the uh the the it looks great um in 4k sounds good and it's a canon film which um and you can see like a lot of the canon horror films of this one also um this year's new year's evil i think it's a little better than new year's evil personally but uh yeah i'm sure there's a bunch of other canon movies from 1980 i don't know how many of them are horror but anyways they were getting in on it uh schizoid um it's worth watching if you're a big fan check it out it looks great on 4k um, as far as the features are concerned, I don't think I popped in any of the features, unfortunately. They were on the DVD. Um, so, disc containing films. Shooting by March, a brand new interview with schizoid writer-director David Paulson. Hide the Scissors, brand new interview with schizoid actress Donna Wilkes. Blood in the Jacuzzi, a brand new interview with schizoid makeup artist Erica uh, Ulan. A... Um, Wellesley graduate, a brand new interview with schizoid actress Flo Lawrence, Ultra Violent Vengeance, The Talent and Technicians of X. Okay, so I really should have popped in the features. It's kind of shoddy on my part, but you know what? Watching as many 1980 movies as they can, sometimes you get a little, you get a little lazy. You get a little crazy, lazy. It's greedy, it's lazy, greasy, lazy. Sorry, I don't know why I did that Stallone, a terrible Stallone impression, but that's just what it reminded me of. Anyways, let's get out of here. I'm talking about schizoid way too long. Next up is a first-time watch for me. This is an Australian flick from 1980. This is Nightmares. This is the Umbrella uh, Blu-ray. Uh, this is also known as Stage Fright, um, like four or five movies called Nightmares, four or five movies called Stage Fright. Uh, this is not the popular uh, movie for either title, <laughs> right? Um, and who directed this one? Is it a name? John Lamont. So, um, yeah, uh, this initially was released on DVD from Severn Films. Um, I don't have too much to say about Stage Fright, um, except that it involves an actress who had some severe trauma to her. I don't remember if the movie opens up with some trauma. We kind of see this scene where um, her uh, mother is like having a ride with uh, her, um, you know, her Basically, she's cheating on the husband. They're having a ride together. With She's having a, a drive with her boyfriend. And there's a car accident because the boyfriend is being real sleazy. And uh, the daughter's in the back seat. She's traumatized, traumatized by this, especially when she tries to help her mother. Her, she ends up cutting her own mother's throat with the glass in the windshield. This fucks her up for life. And obviously, right off the bat, you're like, well, there's no mystery to what's going to happen here. She ends up becoming this uh, stage actress. She's in this big play. And something, a lot of things are triggering her, yada, yada, yada. Although they never show her actually killing anyone. We have this point of view kind of style and these weird hallucinations and flashes. And people end up starting to get killed from this play. You know, uh, maybe it's like uh, uh, somebody behind the scenes at first or, or a bit actress and, and a stage manager, yada, yada, yada. We have this asshole director. And also hanging around is this really creepy kind of uh, sleazy uh, uh, reviewer, this reviewer. And he's, he's just very flamboyant and ridiculous. Ridiculous. Um, I can't think. Is he? He reminds me of a character from something like. There was this one movie from 1970, and I don't want to mix them up. Was it Goodbye Gemini, where we had that kind of idea, where like we had this real sleazy kind of older man who was like interested in a lot of the characters in the movie. If, if that if that might be the one, if I'm not mistaken, he reminds me of that kind of character. So essentially, we have this group of people. And they're all going to get picked off. Um, the one thing that I'll give the movie props for is, you know, using the glass kind of motif was kind of cool. Of course, the killer used the glass because they were messed up by that. And like um, a lot of like nudity, right? Like and, and nudity in strange places, like people running through the alleyway naked. I believe there's that and getting slashed at and whatnot, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so the kill counts decent. The kills are fairly well done. I mean, or fairly violent at the very least. That's kind of what people look for in 1980. Um, I don't know what the end little narration was. It was really 
like sloppily done. And it was just like, well, it's like, it's obvious that this person would not have gotten away with this after everything that's happened. Um, so yeah, I mean, stage fright nightmares. I know people probably want to hear me say a little bit more about it, but I just don't have too much to say about it. It's a decent little slasher movie from Australia. Don't get too many of those, especially from 1980. Um, and it's more like a psychological thing for the killer, but I would definitely put it as a slasher film. Um, so we have audio commentary director John D. Lamont and filmmaker Mark Hartley. Not quite Hollywood extended interviews director John D. Lamont, actress Nina Landis, and cinematographer Gary Wapstop. Deleted scenes, confessions of R-rated filmmaker featurette John D. Lamont. I should have definitely watched some of these features. I just didn't love the movie enough, and I should have got it because more context would have helped. Um, I, I do like the lead actress is fairly decent. Um, but yeah, and I and I like the director and reviewer cattiness back and forth. Very very funny. Um, it looked good. Um, for what it is you know it's a cheaper movie but i will remind you so like you know on your big uh hd 4k tvds and all that kind of stuff there's settings and sometimes you'll set it to adaptive for like the the sound um and the sound for adaptive and surround is absolutely terrible on this like it's it's on you cannot hear it so i had to set it to um standard Normally, soundtracks will come in decent. You know, sometimes you don't have to worry about setting it to standard, even if it doesn't have a 5.1 mix or not. The sound still comes in very clearly. This and Shallow Grave from 1994 are the only two movies, the Criterion Disc, that I had to change the sound to standard to actually hear a decent audio mix on it. So, warrant. So, if you're if you're getting a poor audio mix, make sure you mess with your settings because it's it's not necessarily the disc or anything like that. It's just how the disc is formatted to go through your settings and whatnot. So, yeah, it is region-free. So you can watch ABC. You don't need to be uh, region locked to check out Nightmares. If you want to look for a bloody Australian slasher movie with some psychological aspects, fairly obvious, but also it has the stage kind of mentality about it, um, then check out this one. It's not nearly as good as Stage Fright from 1987 by Michele Silave. I think that handles that subject much better, much gorier, much more stylized and um, and whatnot. And I, I would even put, I know this might be some, I would put the, uh, the early 2010s, 2013 or whatever it is, Stage Fright uh, musical horror film uh, above it as well, which I really enjoy. And if we're talking nightmares, um, I would put nightmares and a damaged brain over it. Okay. Nightmares. And I know that might be controversial. I don't know if I put the 1983 movie nightmares over at the anthology, which has been years since I've watched that one, to be honest. So, but anyways, uh, it's kind of fallen through, you know, some cracks because it's got two names. Both are fairly generic in the horror world. So that's kind of probably a little unfair to it, but it is a cool to see an Australian slasher flick. There's not too many of those to be honest, especially from 1980. I might be the only one. Okay, the next one up is a first-time watch for me, and this is Demented, right? The rape-revenge kind of flick. I'd heard about it for years, had a VHS. Um, I don't know if this made... um it's made any video nest. I can't remember. This is just one that has always been stuck in my head. Screen Factory release here. Um, yeah. Um, this Who's the actor in here, which is kind of... Um, they probably changed his name. Um... Okay, so it, it's um it's one of the porn actors who pops in here who's probably the uh is, is it Harry Reams? I think it is Harry Reams, uh is one of the stars in the film and he plays the boyfriend. So what you have here in the very beginning of this movie, this this woman is like she's alone, she's gang raped viciously by four assholes who put on these crazy masks. Um and like, and it's it's fairly brutal rape scene, and then it, it kind of flash forward. She's obviously has some mental problems from the fucking incident, and she's all messed up from it. And she's kind of been released from a hospital. She's going back home, and her boyfriend and Harry Reams is 
kind of just like he wants to be there for her seemingly, but then you realize he's having an affair with this this horrible person. He's a horrible person having an affair and going away. And like the doctor's like, why isn't he here? Why the fuck is he doing this? Yada, yada, yada. But he's like, she'll be okay by herself, even though he's, he's a doctor and he's, he's making excuses. Um, there's some local neighborhood boys that are tormenting her. I don't know why. They're like, well, she's hot. Let's fuck with her after she was raped and scare her. It's like, who would do such nonsense? Well, most of them, I think, are actually want to be rapists themselves. So when, even after they're caught, they're like, it's a prank. It's like, this is... It's, it's fucking attempted rape, okay? It's not a prank. So um, all this kind of shit happening to her. She's hallucinating. She's starting to snap. She notices that something's not right with her boyfriend. So all this kind of stuff is adding up. And these assholes keep sneaking in her house and fucking with her. And she's going to she's gonna eventually snap and kill them. At parts, you think it's like, is this like a ghost story, like psychological thriller thing? Until she eventually snaps. So it's weird in the sense that it's a rape revenge movie. That she's not getting revenge on the initial rapist. She's getting revenge on a possible group of... Of new rapist which hey it's kind of cool so, but the movie it takes a while to get started and by the last act is all the murders and mayhem and whatnot um all the characters in the movie are fairly garbage um it, it's very strange that we have the lead actress here who has an english accent um, american accent i should say and then like her sister has this heavy english accent and she comes in and she's like i don't know what you and you're just like i don't know maybe she didn't grow up here yada yada they don't care to explain it i don't care to think too much into it but it just doesn't sit right it is what it is, right? I mean, people that could probably put a magnifying glass under any movie and be like, well, these guys are brothers, but they both... This one has a Northern Kentucky accent. This guy has a West Tennessee accent. This ain't right. Yada, yada, yada. That doesn't stand out to me too much. But when one has a voice like this and the other one has like a, a very like a, a very English voice, it does stand out. I mean, there's not much. So the lead actress in here, as much as you want to feel bad for her because she's obviously a horrible rape victim, like uh, from a horrible rape, you're like, I feel bad, but she's just so... Her, her presence is she's just like I want it and she's just like screaming at the top of her lungs which makes for an entertaining movie in the sense that it's completely a bonkers ass performance and super weird and like just uncomfortable and now while it, it doesn't like if it would have been like maybe a stronger actress uh, it would have probably been a better movie and could have really got you and like like again I'll bring this movie up I always do the, the actress in Dream No Evil she has that certain like sad quality about her and, and pigs and stuff like those movies like that actress in that lo- role really helps the movie majorly or even Mary Mary Bloody Mary I remember having some kind of good performance in that movie and it's not those aren't really rape revenge movies but they're definitely psychologically you know focused horror thriller movies and they really sit on the lead the actress's performance Toys Are Not For Children is another one and those movies are really held up um, it's, it like, like kind of lives or dies partially in those movies on that actress's performance. And this one does as well. What you get is this over-the-top bonkers-ass performance, which kind of adds a layer of camp to it. Or I don't even know if you call it camp, because a lot of people argue it's like camp's intentional. Whatever. I don't, I don't want to get into it. Unintentional hilarity to it, I will say, right? And it's just like, I don't fucking... She's out to lunch. The character portrayal is out to lunch. And she's supposed to be, but at the same time, you don't know... It's it's a wacky ass performance, and it's just like one that you're like I don't care. And, and Jamie Gillis is such a piece of shit in this movie. It's like, dude, your wife was just raped. Can't believe you have the nerve to go out and cheat on her right now. It's just like, come on. Uh, but it, but it is what it is. It doesn't have too much going on except some weird psychological nonsense and silliness until the last act where she starts to kill people off. There's no features on it. I remember back in the day that um, it was funny. I, I don't know, but Screen Factor is like, we're not touching. We're not going to touch Miss 45 because that's just too much for us. But they released Demented, which is a 
a rape revenge movie that's probably more offensive just in terms of the lack of depth that it has in comparison to Miss 45. But that was a long time ago. And I could see companies at first kind of being like, well, we don't really want to touch Miss 45 or this or that. And then like, as it, as it kind of opens up and more companies are doing it and they see that there's not much backlash, you could see why they would just be like, well, fuck it. You know, why not? Or maybe it was a, a catalog title deal. Cause they don't have any features on it. Maybe they got this with a catalog with a, with a deal with four or five other titles. I don't know. I, I don't want to just randomly assume a bunch of stuff, but anyways, demented a strange, release from Scream Factory, right? It seems like somebody else would have put this one out. It's just right. They're kind of like demented. It's a fuck 1980 rape revenge movie. Uh, it's kind of a strange release from Scream Factory, to be honest. And, and it's not a great movie. It's not great. Um, but hey, I'm glad I got to watch it for the first time. And hey, it's got Harry Reams in it, so that's pretty cool. Alright, we're here for a Blind Spot. I don't know why this these are considered blind spots. <laughs> whatever. This is your pick, and this is whatever the second part of that trilogy anime that we watched a few months ago is. How do you say it? Kizimonogatari. This is part two. It has a little subtitle. I'm not 100% sure. I forgot. So basically, we pick up where the first part left off. There is a third part we'll cover down the line. And the first part, I complained, was a little bit too much set up. It was kind of set up between the young schoolboy and his girlfriend, or would-be girlfriend, uh, blossoming love. Mm-hmm. And he ends up kind of helping this... Uh, uh, quadriplegic. Uh, I don't want to call her quadriplegic because her are, limbs are actually all removed. Right. I don't know what the term is for that. Amputee. Um, amputee. Quadral. Quad amputee. All four limbs removed. And he ends up helping this vampire in the subway. Um, and by doing that, she basically turns him to a vampire and tells him, you have to help me um, find all my limbs that have been stolen by three kind of uh, vampire hunters or monster mm-hmm. vampires. And um, I will regain my power. I'll turn you back to human. And uh, that's basically it. This is a massively powerful vampire. So he's kind of inherited a mass, like a bunch of powers. And he's young. He's going to have to learn how to do them. But he also has to protect his girlfriend in the middle while their uh, relationship uh, continues to blossom and further, you know, whatnot. Yeah. So same animation, same uh gladiator-like fields blowing in the wind. <laughs> um, yeah, this one was a major improvement for me. Yeah, I, I think that this one, the stories, it picks up a bit more. I mean, it is like two to maybe three battles if you count the last one. I th- I don't know if the last battle... Um, yeah, well, we have it. starts kinda, the second yeah. part. Or the third, third part. Um, so yeah, so this one's a bit more action-oriented. Um, the, the boy and the girl, but very kind of develop their relationship a bit more and I, I think it's a bit more touching the, the scenes that they're yeah. involved with um, especially given what happens um, and the boy I think his name is, is it Adaragi he he, um, he starts to learn his powers he too. starts to learn his powers and really his, his, his power is like like an accelerated healing yeah so um, that adds to some really fun moments in the fight scenes yes because um, he, he goes to fight the first vampire um, and he is, I, I don't remember the names, but I will bring up that I really enjoyed the fight scenes because right. it's really kind of like uh, very much in an anime kind of style movie, like oh, the yeah. classic ones that I've seen, like Vampire Hunter D and, um, Ninja Scroll, because the bad guys all have their powers and their weaknesses and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and the fun is when they line up, you're like, how is he going to beat this guy? What's this, the outcome of this match? And like, at first you think that he's completely outgunned and outmatched, but then you start to realize how much power he inherited and he starts to take him out and right. in fun kind of ways too. 
like different styles. Like he learns, uh, is he learned judo? Uh, he goes for a judo yeah, and he... then he also uses his baseball, which was yeah, funny. Judo and baseball. Um, very Japanese. Yeah. Very, and... very, um, non, um, westernized, uh, right. world fighting there. Well, and like the judo is like absolutely useless. Um, you know, but the size difference between him, him and the first guy is ridiculous. The guy just like rips off his arms and then you find out what his power is yeah, and which is funny because you think that the other vampire would be able to grow back her limbs but they explain it kind of stupidly so, right so he ends up winning the first fight and brings back a limb but mm. the second fight like i don't want to spoil everything but the right. second character like we'll just talk a little bit about the villains the second villain is actually one of the best like he's that typical like overly flamboyant like clearly like homosexual evil character that mm. you know disney made so popular <laughs> but he's just re he's just fun and the first vampire the first villain was 100 percent vampire this mm. one is like a blade crossbreed where he's part but he has a, an a, a, like uh, like on he hates vampires right. so like his gimmick is that he carries around this big cross because he hunts vampires because he hates part of himself and mm. people can be like well maybe it's the eternal struggle of homosexuality like hating yourself whatever and it, you right, could right. You could put you it could, in there. You could put it there. But he's a cool villain. The Both the villains were very entertaining, and he's also mm -hmm. the most evil. I Maybe, I don't know. But he's pretty fucking evil compared to the first he's guy. He's pretty first ruthless guy, compared to the first the guy. The first guy has, you know, the loyalty. He loves to fight, to hunt, that stuff. Mm -hmm. You can, you can, the villain you can understand. This right. guy is just a son of a bitch. Right. And, and, then, we, yeah. and then we get to the, to the third villain. And um, and he's all human. All human. And... Which makes him... The most dangerous monster of all, as the Monster Club has taught us. Yes, it is. <laughs> the Monster you know, Club has taught us. The most every evil monster. creature is man, you know. <laughs> oh, that deep cut for Monster right. Club. Man's like, a every, real monster. Remember that? He's like, every club needs a monster, and ours is Vincent Price. All right. Sorry, sorry. Okay. Um, yeah, so, so th this one, it, like I said, the, the animation style, um, even going back to... to like when we watched the first, like it still does like like the weird cutaways, like like the the fast cuts, um, like flashing the text. But I, I I feel like it's a bit more developed than this one. It's not as obnoxious yeah. as it was. In well, the you're first ready episode. for it too. My only right. negative about the movie is it has a Japanese complaint and a lot of stuff. It just never. It takes like six endings. You're like, is this over? Nope. Is yeah. this over? Nope. Are we over yet? Nope. Are we into the credits? Kind of. Sort of. We're not over, though. And, and that's my only complaint. Um, I'm good on this. If you have anything else to say, you can talk in depth if you have anything. I don't know if there's anything more in depth to say about this. I mean, I mean, this is... It's it's a fun, neatly animated little project. Um, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see where the third one goes. But I don't know if there's really... You know, like I don't think that these are movies that like we could go to in depth with um yeah without just spoiling right without everything. spoiling Be because it's it the plot is very simple um and there isn't a whole lot of like kind of there aren't even a it's not even a large cast of characters you get no. three three bad guys and then we got the guy who negotiates the fights yeah yeah you got the negotiator the the vampire he's fighting for the main guy and his girlfriend and then three blokes that have the vampire's limbs yeah. um and when when the vampire gets her limbs back the way that she what she does with the limbs is i think really cute and yeah, kind of creepy the, yeah it does that style of anime that like um dragon ball would do like or one point they're really badass looking and then the yeah. next shot they're like little like kids like you see that in a lot of different anime like you know what i mean i don't want to say just dragon ball but it's just the most basic approachable one that many people have seen you know what i mean where they'll be like i'm super tough and then like the next scene they'll be crying and they'll just look like a five-year-old kid like, i i don't know if dragon ball 
does that. Uh, maybe not Dragon Ball Z, but maybe just Dragon Ball, where they're hunting for the Dragon Balls, because that's what I saw as a kid. Um, yeah, so so in a lot of anime, they have like like the standard look, like like the full scale character model, and then like if they go to a comedic beat, they do like the super. They turn to style. like they turn to like DKs, the, like, the, the, the DK chibi. Or... Yeah, yeah, the chibi style. They call the them sm- chibis. Chibi. It means like 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 a small thing. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I want a whole uh, genre of J- Japanese movies called chibis, where it's like ghoulie ripoffs, like Gakidama, the demon within. Is he is he a chibi? Sure, like he's a little thing. He's a little thing. I mean, I I don't know. <laughs> you know, um, ironically enough, like like not not ironically, but like like when you watch Sailor Moon, like so Sailor Moon's daughter from the future is just a super deformed version of Sailor Moon, and her name is Chibi Usa, Chibi Usagi. And then, like, later on, there's an even more super deformed version of the main character from the future, and they just flat out call her Chibi Chibi. Like, she's a super deformed, super ah! deformed. <laughs> that's, uh, that's the um, the the joke in uh, The Simpsons, where Homer opens the French book, and it says, Ripoff, and it's Peter Griffin. And then he, next page is Ripoff of Ripoff, and it's uh, Steve Smith from America. Right. <laughs> It's, it's like in, in the Sailor Moon like canonical universe, like 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 the people of the future are just they become ever more tiny, like minuscule, like big headed, and like that's adorable. That's like Wally, where you see the futuristic of the heavy people. Or if you look at like even in modern culture, we just kept getting bigger and bigger. Right. And now we're starting to get smaller again. I think. I think I'm shrinking in these videos like every week. Like I, I don't... think you are. Like I'm just getting. Getting fucking tall. Just... Right, I'm just like, hey. <laughs> oh god, <laughs> you're turning into a chibi. <laughs> Your you know, head's just getting in, bigger. In, in, a, in a freaks when the guy starts shrinking more yeah. and more. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sand flat. Where's that shithole? Uh, it's the patron saint of custard desserts, and then it's just the the last one is the guy from he's Waxwork. Just... <laughs> Uh, I don't know why we're talking about freak. Yeah, I don't know what um, happened. Anyways, I'd give this like a seven and a half, and comparable to like a six, six and a half in the first one. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I much more enjoy this one. Like, like it's like four out of five. I, I think I gave the first one a four out of five too. Probably give the third one a four out of five unless it does something to upset me. But sometimes um, third ones are always just iffy as fuck in a lot of things. So here, here's the thing about the third one is like I think that the main vampire, the one that he's trying to get the limbs for, I think she's going to get complete. And I think she's going to be a badass. Because her design when she's like a full-grown adult, like has all her limbs, looks badass. I mean, you, you don't ever get to see it so far just because you're introduced to her and she's just, you know, a torso on the subway. But um, And what a good-looking torso, cool. though. Absolutely. I'm just kidding. Well, I mean, for real, though. <laughs> uh, what? What? <laughs> okay, so okay. Uh, next week. Yeah. We're doing Sleepaway Camp, the original. Sleepaway Camp. Is that the 81? Yeah, 83. No, oh, oh I said, is that the nineteen eighty film? No, it's nineteen eighty. Like the, the one film from the oh, it's nineteen eighty three. No, yeah, the, the ones from nineteen eighty. I want you to watch are probably just Inferno. It's probably the last one I'd like you to see from nineteen eighty. Inferno. Okay, that's the Dario movie, yeah. sequel to Suspiria. You know, I've never seen um, Inferno or third mother yeah you don't it. need to see the third mother. I don't need to. Mother of Tears. No. Mother of Tears. Okay. All right. Well, so I mean, I don't. It's. 
it is what it is. We'll probably watch it eventually, but I don't think one you, day it's not a must like Suspiria and Inferno. I, I mean, those are just such a different league of movies. And you go down the rabbit hole of Italian cinema and stuff and just talking about latter-day Italian films. It's kind of like any movie. You know, they just don't have the means. It's not the same. Let's just switch to anime from here on out. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah, I think it'll be fun. It's called, uh, our show's going to be called Chibi Chibi. Chibi Chibi Chibi. <laughs> <laughs> you can just watch us get our big heads and get fatter and right, fatter. Right, exactly. As we, oh, as so we have. <laughs> as we have. Um, that's good on that. Uh, next week is Sleepaway Camp. We done. Bye. Okay, guys, let's get into these questions, comments, concerns, all that good stuff. So the question week last week was, what are your favorite film reference books? So, uh, David Leather, on a different note, have you seen Ig Marg Bergman's film, Hour of the Wolf? Do you consider it a horror film? Yes, I have seen it. Um, me and Jeremy covered that one probably a while ago. Uh, is it a horror film? Uh, I think it, at the time it was 68. Um, in that time, you know, I feel like it's horror enough to include in a list of like, top 10 or something along those lines, but like, it's not the number one movie I would use as an example of a horror film, but if you're like doing 1968 movies and whatnot, you know, it does have horror aspects. It's definitely psychological thriller. It has weird kind of mind bending stuff too. So why not? I mean, yeah, why not? Um... Ken Coakley, I've been into horror movie reference books since I was eight years old, and my mentor got me a book about horror movies that spanned from 20s to the 60s. Uh, I star stared at the pictures all the time. It was 1974, so we had no video, and I had to wait until Saturday for a creature double feature in the afternoon and creature feature at night. In 1983, I bought John Russo's Night of Living Dead film book and read that a few times. One of my best scores was an all-night horror movie marathon at my local theater. They had a couple vendors, uh, and, and one night I scored Book of the Dead, a history zombie films, Night of the Living Dead, Street Companion, Crystal Lake Memories, Top 100 Horror Movies, um, Lost Boys, um, Friday 13th, Halloween, Nosferatu, oh, these must be uh, book adaptations, um, Dr. Caligari Comics, Dawn of the Dead Poster Magazine, a Game of Thrones graphic novel for my best friend, and I spent a little over $100. Very good. One of my favorite books is Splintered Visions, which I bought for only 20 from Mike Barnas who made the documentary Para, remembering Lucio Fulci. He's a local guy and a friend that I see at shows. Anyway, the book is amazing. I think I just picked up the same one. Are we talking a Troy Harworth book? Um, yeah, Punk. A uh, very good film research book is John Kenneth Muir's Horror Films in the 1980s. Great format, scope, and takeaway on the genre. He also has books on the 1970s and the 1990s, but I don't have them, so what do I know? Eagerly awaiting his book on the horror films of the 2000s, due out next month in part because it was the first book I was able to order from trading and ground score used books and be able to get a new one. Dishonorable mentions. I live near a college and they have a library where large film studies sections, including this amazing Tomb of Sleaze films by Stephen Thrower called Nightmare USA. Whenever I look through it, I have a list of dirty things to find in the wasteland. Okay. Uh, though not horror-specific, the book Destroy All Monsters I picked up a lot, documenting all films with appearances of punks, even if it's some poser in the back of a party. It has an amazing design and kind of shitty attitude uh, to the films it covers. On a different note, you spend you speak kind words of Graydon Clark's movies. It's worth seeing Skinheads from 89. It's brutal, sharp pace. There's good production for it being made on a low budget. I gotta love how the people being hunted are from Berkeley. See, so I like some Graydon Clark movies. I, I think Without Warning is great, okay? Um, I think it's a very fun movie. Um, I'm not huge on Satan's Cheerleaders or anything like that, but, uh, you know, Graydon Clark is a cool guy. I love him. I love Uninvited and Without Warning, and I'll watch anything he makes. And I think he's kind of an unsung, kind of low-budget kind of guy that, you know, deserves more recognition. Um, and I think, you know, with the Blu-rays and DVDs that are released, I think he's getting some, which is nice. 
Um, and I know he has a book out as well. He made a book about his career. So if you love Graydon Clark, check that book out. Sorry. Um, uh, Petrie uh, Lampella. The Fog has always been my favorite Carpenter movie with Dark Star. Dark Star. It's just filled with great atmosphere and the story slash setting feels so timeless. Mark's, Mark Raven. My favorite book on film is Ten Years of Terror by, from Fab Press. Had it for 20 years and it's about British horror films of the 1970s. I'm still hunting down films from this book. Nice. Chris Rivers. One of my favorite film reference books has to be Shock Value by Jason Zeoman. I think it's a perfect first read for anyone who wants to know the foundations of modern horror. Tony Gonzalez, any horror recommendations to watch for Gay Pride Month? Um, you could take this a lot of different ways. Um, like if you're a big horror fan from 1980, there's two. Uh, Windows, which I've never seen, which people say is offensive. But um, you could watch Cruising, which I don't personally find an offensive movie. Um, love that movie. Um, or you could go with, you know, uh, movies that have gay actors in or bisexual actors or lesbian actors in them. You could pop in, you know, Silence Lands for Jodie Foster. You could watch Anthony Perkins in Psycho or Psycho 2 or numerous movies that Anthony Perkins was in. Or you could go more for like a lesbian kind of deal and watch a lot of the Euro horror films um, because they all have a lot of lesbianism, whether it's just Franco stuff or even Vampires by Jose Larraz. I think Vampires would be a very nice one to watch and, and as Pride Month or Daughters of Darkness, both kind of classic vampire films. Um, you could go Vampire Lovers from 1970, um, but uh, you could even go with something like Fright Night, which has or Nightmare on Elm Street 2, which has these gay elements in them as well. So there's tons and tons of movies. Now, like a movie that has a lot of gay characters in it, um, right off the top of my head, I know there's a, a slasher movie called Hellbent, which I've not seen, um, and and stuff like that. So like I'm trying to think of movies where I actually have just like outly gay characters that are actually not like super stereotypical. Um, there's one called Savage Weekend, which the character is kind of stereotypical in a way, but he's the best character in the film. And it's not a beloved movie, Savage Weekend. It has David Gale in it. But the character who plays the homosexual in the movie is by far the best character, and he has the best performance in the film. So there's that as well. There's just a lot of movies you could pick. Um, you could even do Shape of Water, although not 100% horror. It has Richard Jenkins in it, who plays a homosexual character. And he's he's. I think that the way he's portrayed is, is a nice way, right? Um, so yeah, there's dozens and dozens of movies i'm sure i missed a lot to be honest um it's just like dozens of like gay uh actors or actresses or or whatever there's just a lot of choices if that's what you're looking for so rb a horror movie for a day is my favorite horror research book have you checked that one out dave no i have not um ilk vomit you need to stamp graphic with pervert card on or something to flash on screen when those awesome films come up I, I definitely do um Pop Culture ma uh, Massacre. I saw Baby Oopsie last year while Full Moon movies are hit or miss for me. I was very curious to see this one because I'm a huge fan of comedian Libby Higgins. She plays the lead role. And I thought she did very well in this. She has a hilarious YouTube channel. Glad you found some enjoyment with it. Definitely works best with party favors. I'm working my way through 80s horror too. I'm about 25 deep and only two 6.5 ratings. Nothing lower so far. Eight seems to be the average. I think the top 10 would be the most anticipated show of the podcast so far, at least for me. I think we're doing a top 25. We're going to have to record in two parts, but that show is going to be super long. Phantasm Matt, my favorite line from Clockwork Orange is, Food all right? <laughs> Tried the wine. Love it. Travis Linscombe, question of the week. My favorite film research books are Murderous Passions and Flowers of Perversion, the two Stephen Thrower Jess Franco books. So thoroughly researched and impossibly dense career. Plus, Jess is one of my favorite directors, and Stephen Thrower is one of my favorite film writers. I have a few Troy Howard's Giala books that I enjoy, but I really want to pick up his Paul Nashie book, and I'm excited he's writing one about Umberto Lindsay. We need more Lindsay info and love in the world. Travis Linscombe says, Hey Dave, I agree. The tone is very consistent on all John Rowland work i see what you mean good point as well 
Um, so yeah. And he says, uh, I may be one of the only person who enjoys New Year's Evil. It's not amazing, but I enjoy it as a slasher. It's got a fun concept with the time zones and countdown. Seems like you are okay on it. That makes it sense. Nothing great, but it has its charms. Yeah, it's a lot worse you can do for New Year's Evil. At least you can put it on with a group of friends and have some laughs and enjoy it. It's not, it's an, it can be an enjoyable movie, right? Um, that's why it's always funny when people like, I hate, I don't want to call anybody out, but when you ask what's the worst horror movie of a certain year, somebody always answers something that's like fairly well loved. And it's just like, that's a personal thing. Like that's clearly, you have no objective stuff here. Like either you have seen a couple of horror movies and you're not like a crazy deep diver or you're just being like genuinely like objective like subjective as fuck with it no objectivity whatsoever but hey that's just and now i'm being an asshole judging them but it's just it's just insane sometimes like and everybody's got this hot take to argue and it's just like you know that's not the worst movie like those throw something out like 10 people say it's the best and this it's the worst it's like just stop it no one gives a fuck that's like i mean if you genuinely have like some real argument but most time it's just something stupid nick weaver tear on tape used it till the pages fell out me too brother Joachim Johansson, Into the Unknown, The Fantastic Life of Nigel Neal. And that was the guy behind the Quatermass films, if I'm not mistaken, the writer the writer of the Quatermass films. Don Adams, The Two Psychotronic Books by Michael J. Weldon, John Salo, Deep Red, um, and Australian Film. And Robert D., I'm a massive Gialli fan, so I've got the Blood and Black Lace book that was released by Dark Side Magazine a while ago, but I do need to get the So Deadly, So Perverse books. John F- Jason Fetters, I grew up reading a pictorial history of horror movies by Dennis Guilford, and he does a great job of introducing Universal and Hammer movies. I also like the Deep Red Horror Handbook by Chaz Ballin. Actually, any book you can find by Ballin is worth reading. He's since passed. I mean, he's passed away. Mike Mitchell, all I need to know about filmmaking I learned from The Toxic Avenger, Peter England, Michael J. Weldon's excellent psychotronic film and video guide books, Tim Walker, The Encyclopedia of Horror Films, The Complete Film Reference, okay, Troy Haworth, The Encyclopedia, why can I say Encyclopedia of Horror Films, uh, Horror Movies, English Gothic, Euro Gothic, and Universal Horse, Corey Earns, the first edition of John Stanley's Creature Feature Movie Guide, it's what got me into horror movies and when I brought it at the Winchester Mystery Horror Gift Shop as a kid. Also had that book. Always read it as a kid. Jason Howard, definitely the already mentioned Psychotronic Guides, but also Teenage Slasher movie book. James Turner, Sleazoid Express by Bill Landis. Daniel Carlson, Nightmare USA by Stephen Thrower. Jeff Key, See No Evil, Banned Films, and Video Controversy. Uh, Regional Grimsey, Analog Nightmares by Richard Mogg. Herbert West, not books so much, but Uncle Foray's uh, Famous Monsters magazines in Vangoria. And lots of other magazines gave us lots of information. John Stanley's Creature Features was a good reference book and many editions. A pictorial history of horror films was good. There's a lot of good ones. May, many I have read about before getting to see a lot of them. Uh, Jeremy White, I have a humble but well-rounded cult film reference section in my book collection. I'm always on the hunt for new editions. But my tired and trues are Psychotronic Video Guide, Cult Flicks and Trash Picks, Creature Features, and Terror on Tape, some of which I've had for the last two decades. Um, Jason, Bur- Justin Burning, both Bleeding Skull books, and I've always been a fan of Book of the Dead by Jamie Russell. Ed Spudnik, Monster Vision, the films of John and Mark Polonia, uh, the Polonia brothers, Polonia brothers, sorry, um, and Monster, yeah, the, the Polonia brothers, sorry, Polonia brothers, I can't speak right now, and here we go, 
lots of lots of good stuff here. Um, so like get your like I don't have as many film books as I would like, so reading these is nice. Gabrielle Juliet, Ad Nauseam, Tyler Harris, the newer Cannibal Holocaust and Savage Cinema, Regero Diodato is pretty great. Um, and this this one's really long, so I'll do that last. Casey Botwin, Eaten Alive, Italian Cannibal and Zombie Movies was one that really shaped my taste to come. Also have that book, used it for a college paper years ago. Um, David Gibson, The Disaster Artist and Anything by Troy Haworth. Jeff Gardner, Spaghetti Nightmares for the Weird Italian Horse Stuff. And this one I have from the 70s as a kid is pretty good. Um, and that it appears to be some sort of making of King Kong book. That's what Herbert West asked. Mark Partridge, Deep Red Whore Handbook, edited by Chaz Balm that came out in 89. Um, Carson uh, Peters, there were very important for me, but the Gore Score and the Deep Red Whore Handbook. Now, Dennis Delaney, he, he wrote me a, a paragraph, um, actually a, a fucking thesis, but since he took the time to write it and list every freaking movie, I'm going to read them. So here we go. Let's check my audio. We got two bars. We should be good. Dennis Delaney, if I had to pick a place to start among many historians of the genre, I wouldn't hesitate to make my first recommendation. Jonathan Rigby's trilogy of books covering the history of horror films in Britain, America, and Europe. American Gothic, 60 Years of Horror, Cinema, um, Reynolds and Hearn, 2007 Revised Edition. And it goes on. Then we have English uh, Gothic, A Century of Horror, Cinema, um, Revised 2015, and Euro Gothic, Classics of Continental Horror Cinema. Now, um, as well as David J. Scholl's The Monster Show, A Cultural History of Horror. I'm not going to read who put them out and everything like that, but it's nice if you see this comment to know that um, in which editions. Important early studies of horror movies would have to include Carlos Carlin's groundbreaking study and illustrated history of horror film. Um, then we also have Horror in the Cinema. Where am I? Revised Okay, sorry, I'll read that. And that one was the uh, groundbreaking Illustrated History of Horror Film, Putnam, 67. Revised Edition publishes Illustrated History of Horror and Science Fiction Films, Decapa Press. Horror in the Cinema, Ivan Butler, Zemmour, 1970. Dennis Guilford's A Pictorial History of Horror Movies, uh, Hamlin, 1973. And William K. Everson's classic two-volume study, Classic of Horror Film, Citadel Press, 74. And more classics of horror films, 50 Years of Great Chillers, Citadel Press, 86. The er earliest encyclopedia of genre was was the Audrum Film Encyclopedia, horror edited by Phil Hardy, Antrim Press, 1984. So um, it was published as the Overlook Film Encyclopedia, horror Overlook Press, 95. A few of the better horror-specific film guides would be John Stanley's Creature Features, Creatures at Large Press, Tear on Tape, a complete guide to over 2,000 horror movies on video, and uh, what else do we have? Billboards Press, Video Whorehounds Horror Show, 999 Hair Raising, Hellish and Humorous Movies, Mike Mayo, Visible Ink Press, 98, Second Revised Edition, Publishes the Horror Show Guide, The Ultimate Fright Fest of Movies, The Essential Monster Movie Guide, A Century of Creature Features on Film, TV, and Video, Stephen Jones, Billboard Books, 2000, Fangoria's 101 Best Horror Movies You've Never Seen, A Celebration of World's Most Unheralded Fright Flicks, um, Three Rivers Press, Okay, The Rough Guide to Horror Movies, Alan Jones, Rough Guides, 2005, Horror, 333 films to scare you to death. James Marriott, Kim Newman. Where we go, Carlton Books, 2010, reissued as a definitive guide to horror movies, 365 films to scare you to death. And 100 American horror films, BFI screen guides, Barry Keith, uh, Grant, British Film Institute. And then he has some more here that I'm going to read. Um, there are seemingly hundreds of books dealing with the topic of cult exploitation and grindhouse psychotronic movies. If you've only got a room on your shelf or a few, I would encourage you to begin with the two legendary books by Michael J. Weldon, founder and editor of Psychotronic Video Magazine, entitled The Psychotronic Encyclopedia of Film. 
1983, and the Psychotronic Video Guide, St. Martin's Griffins, 1996. They will introduce you to a world of extraordinary movies, despite the fact that they only cover films up through the 90s. Then invest some time and money in a few books by Danny Perry, all of which are worth adding to your collection. Cult movies, The Classics, The Sleepers, The Weird, and The Wonderful. Delta, 1981. Cult movies, 2, 50 more classics. The Sleepers, The Weird, The Wonderful, Del Trade, 1983. Cult movies, 3, 50 more classics. The Sleepers, The Weird, and The Wonderful, Fireside, 1988. Cult movie stars, Fireside, 91. Alternate Oscars, Delta 93, but the especially guide for the film fanatic and the Simon and Scheister, 86. Again, these books are not up to date, but they are from the foundation of what has since followed. I would also rate very highly the following volumes, Midnight Movies by Jay Halperpin and Jonathan Rosenbaum, uh, Harper and Row, 83. Research, 10. Uh, incredibly Strange Films, edited by Jim Morton, V. Val, and Andrea Juno. Research, publications, I Day 5. Both of the Joe Bob, Brick film, Joe Bob Briggs film guides. Joe Bob Goes to the Drive-In, um, Delacour Press, 86. And Joe Bob Goes Back to the Drive-In, Delacour Press, 1990. Both of the Joe Kane slash Phantom of the Movies film guides. The Phantom's Ultimate Video Guide, Dell 89. And the Phantom of the Movies Video Scope, The Ultimate Guide to Latest, Greatest, and Weirdest Genre Films, Three Rivers Press. 2000. The Slaves Merchant, Adventures in Filmmaking, uh, Exploitation Filmmaking, John McCarty, St. Martin's Press, 1995. Um, then we have Mondo Macabro's Weird and Wonderful Cinema Around the World, Pete Toombs. St. Martin's Griffin, 1998. Sleazoid Express, Express, A Mind-Twisting Tour Through the Grindhouse Cinema in Times Square by Bill Landis and Michelle Clifford, Simon and Scheister. Um, 2002, Slime Time. A Guide to Sleazy, Mindless Movies by Stephen Opolchowski, Head Press, 1996, Second Edition, Critical Vision, 2002. All four volumes of Nathaniel Thompson's series DV Delirium, The International Guide to Weird and Wonderful Films on DVD and Blu-ray, Fab Press, 2003-2010. House of Psychotronic Women, an autobiographical topographical of female neurosis in, in neurosis in horror and exploitation films by Kier uh, Lan. Uh, Janice, um, Fob Press 2002, Bleeding Skull, a 1980s Trash War Odyssey by Joseph A. Zimba and Dan Budnick, Head, head uh, Press 2013, The Spine Grinder, the movies most critics won't write about, Clive Davies, um, Head Press 2005, Bleeding Skull, a 1990s Trash War Odyssey, Annie Cho, Zach Carlson, Joseph A. Zimba, uh, Zamba, uh, Fanta uh, Fantagraphics 2022. 2021 and warped and faded weird wednesday and the Bri Bri birth of the american genre film archive lars nelson edited by kier uh, uh kier la janice mondo 2001 three of the best historians of grindhouse and exploitation cinema would be grindhouse the forbidden world of adults only cinema eddie muller daniel ferris and saint at saint martin's press 96 bold daring shocking true a history of exploitation films 1919 to 1959 eric schaefer duke university press books 1999 and the Forbidden Fruit, the Golden Age of the Exploitation film, Brett Wood, uh, Midnight Marquee Press, 1999, the fantastic book laying out the history of the independent exploitation movies is Stephen Thor's Majestical Nightmare USA, the untold story of the exploitation independence, Fab Press 27, second edition, 2008. Uh, Mark Bull, my OG film was the Golden Turkey Awards. Okay, I forgot Mark Bull, so that's one I skipped. Mark Bull, my OG film book was the Golden Turkey Awards. So, um... If I had to pick one guy, man, this guy right here, Dennis um, Delaney, knows his shit. That's a lot of books. He mentioned so many books that I've heard of in passing and uh, a lot of the books that were mentioned here. But next week, since I'm going on vacation, I want to know. Um, don't worry. There'll be, a week, there'll be a video this weekend next week. I'm not going to miss any because I'm dedicated to everybody. So next week, the question is, what is your favorite vacation slash camping horror film? 
or exploitation flick. So, like, I'm just thinking, after watching Fatal Vacation, I'm going on vacation. What are some of your favorite movies where people go, you know, out of town and have problems? It could be Wolf Creek, Friday the 13th, uh, vacation, camping, horror films, whatever you guys want to do. Uh, let me know, and let's hop into the very short, very quick update. You know what? I'm doing it here because I'm a lazy boy. Um, first up is going to be the video dead, video violence, sorry, snuff collection, two SOV movies. Um, was this TerraVision? Very cool here. Just got this in the mail today. Oh, it's got a slip box. The video uh, violence collections are, are two of the very popular SOV movies. Um, they were originally put out by Camp Motion Pictures, long out of print. So yeah, these these are fun. I think I've only watched the first one. Um, the first one I remember enjoying quite a bit. But uh, let me read the features on here since I'm only doing archival interview with Gary um, P. Cohen. Yeah, so lots of stuff like that. Anyways, I recommend checking out the video violence movies if you have not. Um, and then last up is very short update here is Spaceballs on 4k love Spaceballs. It's been a while since I watched it. Um, yeah. Anyways, Mel Brooks, how can you go wrong? Parody of star Wars, star Trek, all that stuff that you love. Anyways, we're out of here guys. Uh, it's going to cut to that weird dumb, uh, outro I do every time, but Hey, it is what it is. Okay guys. Thank you very much for watching. And as always have a good one. Mm.